Welcome to episode one of our second season of the OCA podcast. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Um, today's guest is Jeannie McKindles. She is the director of education at the Provision School in Lexington. Um, she brings such a wealth of knowledge and experience to the education field. She's been in the education field for 15 years, has a master's of special education and an education specialist degree. And so what we talked about today is an opportunity for us to learn as parents, as educators, um, Really now we're kind of both parents and educators, um, but she gives us um, just some practical tools on how to continue to um, help our kids learn in this new reality that we find ourselves. And so whether your kids are in school, whether you are working from home and teaching your kids, whether you are already homeschooling, um, whatever that looks like for you, Jenny provides some practical tips on how to continue to engage and create this learning opportunity for our kids. No, it's a challenging time for all of us, but hopefully you are encouraged by listening to Jenny and finding some wisdom from her as we all navigate this together. Thanks so much. All right, Jenny, thanks so much um, for joining us today and, and for you being a part of um, what we're doing. And uh, this is the first episode of season two. So pretty excited about um, being with you and um, obviously with all that's going on in the world, we have um, a pandemic and so many different things. You're a, you're a school educator. Um, and so a lot of people not going back to school, a lot of people exploring um, what it looks like to go in school. So you guys are at school, but tell me what your role is and, and what you're doing um, and what your school does. And because um, because I, I know there's a there's a special component to what you guys do um, at the provision school. Yeah. So um, I am the director of education at the provision school, and kind of our specialty is we focus on children who um, have early childhood trauma. Um, obviously, a lot of those kids come from adoption or foster care situations, uh, and then there's also just kids who have had a really hard time in school. I kind of tell people that uh, we are the kids who have um, slipped through the cracks or have just not been successful in traditional education for lots of reasons, but our special niche is kind of trauma. Um, so yeah, so we've gone back to school with this very special population of kids. Um, and so that's looks a little bit differently than other schools because we're kind of um, kind of don't look the same as other schools uh, in that we are a therapeutic learning environment. We have um, counselors on staff that actually meet with kids and counsel within the day. Uh, our school programs, like the classrooms themselves, uh, we kind of do redemptive discipline and things that are very intentionally therapeutic in how we handle kids' behaviors and how we handle how they learn. Um, and then we kind of have a special ed element thrown in there as well. So everything's very individualized for kids and um, kind of help them kind of learn at their right pace and at their right speed. Yeah, which is um, for what we do here at OCA and caring for the families who are, um, who have adopted, who have fostered, who have those specific special needs. Um, definitely great to talk with you. Um, now tell me kind of how, how you all went about the process of hey this is really what we need to do for our kids to get them back in school because there is definitely a structure and a routine component but obviously a safety component with all that's going on and love to hear what helped you guys make that decision 
um, as you moved into that role? So really we knew very early on into quarantine even, you know, April, May, um, that we would probably need to be back in person if at all possible just for the structure of our of our students we knew that that was a really high priority but as like as you said how do we do that safely and how do we get um the kids to have what they are needing um but also do it in a way that is best for everyone involved and so uh, it was kind of a, it's kind of been a tricky situation. You know, none of us knew this was going to happen. Of course, you know, March, we went home one day and then suddenly we didn't ever go back to school. So right. that was, this has been a fun adventure, but for many of our kids, which I know all of the people listening and yourself understand, they need structure, they need consistency, and they need to know that there's predictability. Um, a lot of our kids have not had predictable lives. Um, they've experienced things that have thrown a wrench in what they imagined life would look like. And so when we pull school away, which tends to be their most consistent place, um, it feels like the foundation of learning goes away or a foundation mm -hmm. of their lives, really, because that's where their friends yeah. are. That's where a lot of safe adults are. Mm -hmm. um, and especially at our school, we're also most of their counselors are here as well. Yeah. So most of our kids get counseling through um, people on staff. That's a big scary void suddenly that opens up. So we knew we really needed to, if at all possibly, if at all possible, open mm -hmm. up this this fall. So the couple of the things that we talked through were, um, you know, how can we do this and how can we do it safely? Um, we considered a huge blessing. It was. Um, we, we say God opened the door for us, but we actually were moving buildings in the middle of quarantine. Hmm. Um, it was a fun time, yeah. uh, but to pack a building <laughs> when you're not supposed to be with other people. So we'd go in and shifts like Absolutely. back rooms and, and that stuff. But what it did is it allowed us first off to have a much larger building than we had had before. Um, so we knew we would have enough space to socially distance. So that really helped. Um, second of all, we already maintain really small classes. I've capped them between eight and 10 normally. That's, that is our class yeah. size any year, even if it's not quarantine um, or COVID. And uh, so we knew we could keep our class sizes really small and still meet the needs of our kids. Mm -hmm. um, and then on top of that too, we knew that we could put some very specific things in place you know, hand washing, you know, spacing out the desks, making sure that kids are wearing masks when it's appropriate, you know, that kind of stuff. We knew we could put some of those things in place as well to help kids keep safe um, as best as we could. But we knew ultimately that for many of our kids, it, it mattered that they were with other people. They, they social emotionally, needed to be back in a building with that structure of school. Okay. Um, a lot of our families come to us in crisis and um, need school to actually help them mm -hmm. kind of survive outside of school. Yeah. They need that, they yeah. need that, the help and the support of the teachers um, and the counselors. And so mm -hmm. it was one of those things where we kind of just weighed it back and forth. Um, and we just, we just knew that the kind of the, 
the pros outweighed the cons. We know there's a risk. We have a four page COVID document that we sent home to all of our hmm. families, kind of outlining yeah. everything from lunch to how we'll handle the hallways to hand washing to where the kids hmm. will sit, you know, all of that. Yeah. But in the end, ultimately, it was all the same things everybody else is saying to do. Um, but we kind of took that risk of we think for the safe, like for our for the mental safety, for the yeah. for the health of our kids, um, we're going to we're going to try this and see what we can do. Yeah. Talk more about so that social emotional is such a such a key part, especially of of kids who've experienced um, hard things, kids who have experienced trauma, kids who have potential learning disabilities um, and we just isolation in general is hard. But talk about the social emotional and the importance of what that is, especially with the kids that are, are coming to the provision school um, to continue the development of that of that need that they ha that they have. So I, I said this to a lot of people this year, actually, but I feel like we look at children and we kind of see them from birth to 18. You know, that's kind of the window of what we call, you know, being a kid before you're officially entered into adulthood and we have these you know these phases of development and what kind of comes across as you know this is appropriate development for a zero to three or this is appropriate development between the ages of six to nine and and we and we kind of gauge how a child is doing by those milestones and by those levels of development but most of our kids that have come from hard places as you know don't always meet those mm -hmm. Um, kind of developmental milestones appropriately. You know, they yeah. didn't uh, receive appropriate care from zero to three, or they um, experienced neglect or a traumatic event when they were six. And so it delays or stunts mm -hmm. that social emotional development that should have been happening at normal time periods. Mm -hmm. And so when a kid comes to us, a lot of times we know they might be 13, but social emotionally, they're functioning at age six, seven, eight years mm -hmm. old. Yeah. And and we're trying to not only get a child to academically be on pace and be on target, but also to to do all of the, the good and the deep work that comes with mm. helping a 13 year old who emotionally is seven become an, a 13 year old who is emotionally older um, and and not rushing that process, but allowing them the support and the care to begin to develop that piece of who they are as well. Mm -hmm. A lot of times in school, uh, we really get stuck. We get, you know, kind of get the blinders on. Teachers, we focus. I've been a teacher for a long time. We get these <laughs> blinders on and we're thinking, yes. we've got to get them reading or we've got to get them on grade level. And we forget this really important part that yeah. who they are internally, mm -hmm. who, who they are, what's going on inside their brain, what's going inside their heart, that actually drives their ability to learn who they are socially, how they make friends and interact with people is actually a long-term life skill that will will serve them actually better than even being better academically. And that's a little controversial, but you keep learning and growing academically your whole life. Mm -hmm. Some of these social emotional skills, yes, you can still learn and adapt as you get older, but there really are windows of time when it's kind of the best or the most optimal time to learn those skills. Mm -hmm. And there are consequences that come at 18 or 21 mm -hmm. that are larger than if a child had learned those skills when they are, you know, still a child. And so we really try to focus on 
what can we do to help you be able to learn to express your needs, to be able to use your words and not your actions, to be able to help you regulate your body and regulate um, what feelings are going on inside of you and to be able to identify why those things are happening so that then as you do those specific skills, you actually can learn because when I'm hungry, I'm not learning. When I'm tired, I'm not learning. You know, when I, when I'm feeling anxious or nervous, I'm not learning. And so trying to empower them in those social emotional areas in order that they can actually be actually better students for us as well. But really ultimately, I know if you come to me and I can help you learn how to regulate, I can learn to help you express what you need and I can help you be a good member of society by being kind to people and having good social skills you actually can get a job when you grow up. Hmm. You can, you know, have other relationships. You could potentially have, um, you know, marriage relationships or, or if you have children, you know how to care for them because you've learned social emotional skills. Right. Um, So you have, yeah, yeah. 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 You have 15 years of experience, right? I mean, you bring so much wealth and knowledge into the classroom, into the provision school. And not all parents are as fortunate to open and come to the provision school. A lot of parents now um, are experiencing, myself experiencing, um, being a homeschool parent. Um, So how do you bring, because we're a parent, we're a teacher, what are some tips, what are some advice that you give parents like myself, parents who are now homeschool, which we've all become, a lot of us have become teachers, parents, playmates, understanding social emotional cues, um, all the while trying to get our kids to learn while looking at a screen. It's not optimal. We get it. We understand, right? But how do we, what are some tips? What are some things that you would say, hey, these are some small things that I would start with because it's not going to be perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. Um, but obviously these tools that you possess that you could give to us with your knowledge and your wisdom and the way that you've connected with kids, what are some things that you give parents at home, parents like myself to connect and to build on that social emotional, as well as how do we teach, right? You, you were saying social emotional helps the learning process, it matters, so, yeah. right? So how does that continue to develop, um, in the midst of this suboptimal learning environment? So um, several things. First off, I'm a parent too. I have two kids. And so when we all went into quarantine, my kids had to be homeschooled also. And you would think at, as a teacher for the last 15 years, it would be easy peasy, but it's not. <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> I can't believe you. I mean, it's got to be easy for you, right? I mean, no, come on. not at all. <laughs> had, at one point, my seven-year-old was 10 days behind on this schoolwork. Uh. So, um, and, and I also understand that parents are working too. So this isn't just, right. oh, well, you're home board, so you can teach your kid. We all are trying to work and teach our kids at the same time in the suboptimal way. So when I, when I say these things, I come with great grace and compassion <laughs> because I yes. have lived it and am living it too. Right. Um, but a lot of things I tell parents is number one, our kids really like structure and they like a plan but that does not fit for every family. So, you know, we can go onto Pinterest and we can find the ideal, beautiful little situation of how mm-hmm. your room should look and yeah. how, like these cute print offs of how the schedule should be. And that's just not every family's like flow. 
And I don't think that, first off, any family should feel like they are supposed to look a certain way. Hmm. Families have a very specific dynamic and you as a parent know what dynamic works best for you as the parent and for you for your kids as students. So if you guys are already a very structured family and you're very like you very much have a schedule, do that. That's helpful for your kid because there's familiarity in that. Mm-hmm. If you are um, a more go with the flow parent, you should absolutely have some structure because you got to have a plan. But you don't have to stick to some rigorous plan where at nine we do this and at nine fifteen we transition. That's that's not going to work for you because that's not your style. So first off, lean heavily into what is your style. It's okay to to put your own twist and personality in this. Mm-hmm. They you did not go to college to be a teacher. You do not have to look like yeah. um, what everybody else is looks like. You can like make it fit into your mold. And even if you did go to college to be a teacher, be a it's teacher. still different, right? I mean, it's, it's totally still different. different. Like it's a you're oh. teaching other people's kids. You're not teaching your own kids. So right, yeah, exactly. How I teach as a parent versus how I teach as a teacher very different. Kids yeah. come to school knowing that there are school expectations. Kids go home knowing there's home expectations, mm-hmm. and the two things do not usually merge. And so when they're at home, they're going to be in their home mindset. And there will be struggles because they're the safest with you. So that's when kids are going to have the biggest behaviors or they're mm. going to give you the biggest attitude because they would never do that to a teacher yeah. or they would, but not the same way that they do at home. So mm-hmm. that's okay. We know that that's learning at home is not going to be, it's not going to go as smoothly as we wish it would. But right. some of the things I really um, think are important, and this is coming from a background of my master's is in special education. So it's all about individualized learning. It doesn't matter if a kid is um, academically on target, especially really more is about focusing on what the kid needs, not Mm. necessarily just, oh, well, they can't learn, so you have to do these things. So I look at every kid, no matter what their abilities are, from this mindset of how individually can we meet their needs. Mm. And so first off, I would say that each kid needs to probably have a space in your home that's designated for learning. Because just like when I leave ho- my house and I come to school and I have that feeling that it's school and this, there are different expectations here, for a lot of our kids that helps just to have a place that they transition to where there is, it's the learning area. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have to look a certain way. It does not have to be decorated a certain way. Even if it's just simply they have a desk in their own bedroom or they have a desk in the kitchen or we always do school at the kitchen table. However works best for you, having a designated area really helps because it helps transition your brain from, oh, we're at home to click. All right, now it's time to sit down and do schoolwork. Um, I'm very for kids having timers. A lot of our kids from hard places don't have Hmm. um, great impulse control or executive functioning. Um, It just seems a lot of times they go hand in hand. And so they don't do well sitting for long periods of time being asked to do the same things. They need to be able to know, oh, in a few minutes I can get up, or I know that this is coming next. And so um, giving them a timer and just saying, okay, we're gonna work on math for 15 minutes, and then you can have a 15 minute outside break, something like that, whatever Mm. works for your kid. But I like to give them kind of a chunk of time. This is your goal right now. Yeah. We're gonna finish one sheet of paper. Then we take a break. You Again, we all think, oh, we got to finish all the math. Yeah. We don't have to finish all the math in one sitting. You can finish all the math throughout a whole day. You can do it five minutes at a time or one problem at a time. Um, 
you again and you as the parent this is the cool part you as the parent actually are the expert about your student hmm. so you know exactly what makes them tick you know what motivates them if anything motivates them because it doesn't always happen but right you you get to be the expert and actually lean into what you as a parent kind of already do in parenting but let hmm. it kind of fit into how you manage schoolwork as well yeah how does that fit into a lot of these schools are having kids look at screens, right? Which is which is what they need to do, right? So, and we hear screen time, we hear the like that's the only way we can do NTI, virtual learning, online classrooms, whatever you want to call it. So, some of the kids are having to spend an hour looking at a classroom and do some classwork. How do you fit what you just said into working with the school that that? your kids at, right? So you're at a, a public school here in Kentucky. They're doing NTI virtual learning. Your kid has to sit 45 minutes an hour to do these things. How would you suggest to, to fit all of these things, these breaks, these timers into, what? into what's what's already happened? Because you, you, you obviously want to continue to do and build that relationship with the school and the teacher. But there's also so many different other things that your kid needs, right? And right. setting that predictability like you talked about earlier. I would um, very first and foremost communicate with the teacher and just say, hey, this is my kid. Especially because school just started for a lot of kids right. yesterday. I mean, like a huge – where I live, everybody started yesterday. Yeah. Um, but so this is a teacher who's never had this student before. So they don't know that they're assigning virtual work to a general idea of what their class is. They may have looked at their files, they may have seen information about them, but they don't personally know their students yet. They'll develop those relationships as time goes on. But for you as a parent, you get to be the advocate first and foremost, and just email them and say, hey, important facts. You know, little Billy, he doesn't do very well with sitting for 45 minutes. I've noticed that you are assigning some pretty long assignments for him. Just so you know, for the sake of our family, we're gonna take a break, and he's gonna um, he's gonna yeah. only be able to probably participate for about 15 minutes. We'll take a break. We'll come back to it. He will get it done, um, but but I don't see him being able to sit for 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. Or saying, hey, um, you're doing a lot of Zoom classes. Is there a way you could record them so that um, when we miss them or when he's struggling to stay seated and focused? We can come back and we can review them um, more thoroughly. Any of those kinds of things where you're already you're already putting a bug in the teacher's ear, kind of just just so you know we're going to adapt this. Just so you know, we as a family we know that this is going to be what works best. Mm -hmm. It's it is respectful to the teacher. Um, they don't see it as you trying to like undermine what's happening. They would, when you're communicating from the beginning, they see you as a parent trying to advocate for your kid. If you come in six months from now and go, yeah, we just didn't do any of that. It was too hard for him. That's when teachers get defensive, like, whoa, why have I been doing all this work for your kid? Yeah. Um, but most teachers really do want your kid to be successful. Most teachers are just as frustrated as you are as a parent. Uh, we all are in this crazy mess, <laughs> trying to yeah. figure out the best way to meet our kids' needs. and. Every teacher I've talked to has been very flexible, very willing to work around the various needs of their kids. And they're trying to balance, especially in public school, kind of what the district is telling them they have to do, what their principal's telling them they have to do, and meeting the needs of their kids. Hmm. And if they have you as a parent coming in and just saying, we're working really hard, we're trying to meet these needs, 
here's some ways we're adapting. I, I think most teachers are going to be very open to that. Hmm. Um, and as yeah. long as they're not requiring you, like I know some of them are requiring that you're on Zoom at 9 a.m. and you have a 45 minute Zoom class, you know, mm -hmm. um, those are those are things that are harder. That's why I ask for them to be recorded so they can go back and review them. Yeah. Um, but if it's work that they need to sit and complete, like they're doing an online program like Khan Academy or they're doing um, work yeah. or review online, like interactive worksheets and that kind of stuff, all of those things save and you can step away from them and come back to them. Um, so anything where you can step away and come back, I would say break it down. Anything where it's like Zoom or you're being recorded or whatever, I would talk to the teacher about either recording it and getting it so you can review or um, actually asking if there's some ways that you can make the time shorter or adapt for each yeah. student. That's Teachers so good. Yeah. That. yeah. So, so good. Cause it's, you know, I myself am, am not always, I don't want to bother a teacher. The yeah. teacher already has a lot. It's the first day of school. No need to talk to her or whatever, but it, it sounds like obviously you've spent a lot of years in the classroom. Um, and now it sounds like, Hey, no, we as teachers want you to talk to us at the, at the start. Like, yes, we have a lot going on, but talk like, to us. Right. We're overwhelmed. Right. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> bombarded. I would rather I'll, and this is me personally. So maybe mm -hmm. you'll, you know, different personalities, but I would rather upfront know what your expectations are or what your concerns are so that mm -hmm. I'm already working on them than to wait and to find out later when we could have from the beginning already have been working on a plan. Mm -hmm. And if you're telling me upfront from the beginning as a parent, then you're actually communicating it to me just as a, hey, just so you know, versus uh, several weeks from now when it comes across more as a, yeah, we're really concerned or we're unhappy with you as a teacher. Uh, you know, that's that's yeah. when teachers take it personally versus if from the beginning you can just say, we know you're virtual, mm -hmm. you don't know what's going on, we just want to give you a heads up. Yeah. It, it communicates differently and I know at least for me it helps. Yeah, especially now, like you said, in the online virtual NTI learning space, um, we have to communicate as parents, right? I mean, because they're not there to notice, um, which is a great, I mean, which is a great point. It's so good. So if you were to, you know, just to kind of close out here, if there were three things, three to five things that you would say, these are the most important things um, that you as a parent can do for your, whether it's a, you know, a child from hard place or just a child who hasn't experienced it, but online learning where it's different, right? I mean, it's just different. Three to five things that, that we could do as parents, as families, even as educators being, I know you're the principal and executive director, but also you're an educator at heart and that's what you do. You educate. Um, so what are things that you would say, these are the most important things that I want to make sure that I would focus on? Kind of like what you said, social, emotional, pay attention to that. But if there are other things that you would say, um, what are some things that you would give? What are some tips right there? Uh, number one, relationship is more important than the task. Hmm. So in the grand scheme of life, it matters how we as parents interact with our kids during this time. Hmm. And there will probably be consequences and frustrated times and raised voices and hair being pulled out. <laughs> all of that right. will happen. Yes. It happens yep. with me at least anyways. Yep. Um, with all but, of us, yes. Us too. Yeah. Maybe it's just us too, but yeah. <laughs> It's okay, we're in good company. Though. Yes, so, yeah, we're good. Yeah. Um, but the relationship with the child is more important than them finishing all their schoolwork or mastering everything 100%. This is a really wonderful opportunity, which I know parents don't see it as wonderful. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. It's a yeah. really wonderful opportunity mm -hmm. for you as families 
to get extra time together, extra bonding. Um, parents for a long time taught their kids at home while they still ran farms or pioneered yeah. or whatever. And so this, these are parents have gone before you and have done the same things you are mm -hmm. doing. It looked a lot different than it does now, but you're not, in, you're not alone in this. Everybody, we're all in this boat together. Mm -hmm. Lean into the community of people you have, but remember your relationship with your kid first and foremost is the most important hmm. because ultimately you don't want to lose relationship or lose ground, especially for our kids from hard places where it takes so long for them to experience trust and felt safety. We don't want you as parents to lose ground because hmm. you're so stuck on getting the task done that you step away from just loving on your kiddo. Mm -hmm. Now that does not mean don't have the structure that needs to be there. Don't hold them accountable. I'm not saying that, but always remember it's worth it where you can make choices and compromise instead of um, just kind of forcing the issue. Uh, yeah. Use that. I was gonna say, and that's another thing is that yeah. use, use your knowledge as the parent of the kid to know what's too much for them to know ways that you can accommodate for them and, and like, say, okay, we're going to do three questions right now instead of all 10. You've made a compromise with them. They're still yeah. doing their schoolwork. You're still meeting the goal, but you also aren't pushing your kid to the place where they're broken yeah. or, they're, or they're just breaking down. Um, our kids remember this, just like all of us as adults are having a hard time, they're having a hard time. Mm. They went away from school. All their friends have gone and they've been either trapped in their house or been with minimal people and their whole world flipped upside down within a matter of a couple weeks and now we're months into this they don't even get to go back to school they have to talk to their teacher on the computer so that's a hard emotional mm -hmm. thing for them so just remember that that ultimately your job as the parent is to comfort and to support mm -hmm. and and then help them do their schoolwork so yeah. first social emotional always the first thing then we worry about academics yeah. um it's okay to accommodate and it's okay to modify so that's the other thing i would say like mm -hmm. again modify, yeah. change it, do what works best for you as a family. Um, be creative with your kids, find ways to do this in a fun way. Yeah. So I'll, a lot of times I'll let my kids go and play games and do activities, but they're, but they're talking to me and we're doing the schoolwork at the same time. So mm -hmm. if you can do something where you're active with them, you're jumping rope, you're doing hopscotch, you're, they have a trampoline, you can have them listen to books, you can have them um you know be listening and doing like physical outdoor activities you can do all sorts of just creative ways for you in your home would work um to get education happening at the same time as allowing them to do it in a slightly different way mm -hmm. um do that do whatever works best for your kid and you again are the expert you know so if they need more breaks give them more breaks let them do that there's nothing that says that they can't go take a break every 10 minutes Mm -hmm. um, another thing is, is that in theory, you should only have half an hour of schoolwork um, per grade. So like kindergarten should only have 30 minutes of work, which is not happening. I'm very aware of that because all the teachers are trying yeah. to throw all the schoolwork at kids. Yeah. But so did you say 30 minutes? Is that it? Uh -huh, That's it. Per oh, grade. Okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah so okay. Kindergarten should have 30 minutes to wow. an hour's worth of work total in a day. Yeah. And that's just, school, that's sitting down schoolwork. I don't mean the breaks and the play. Right. That's, that's a lot of what you do is yeah. the play. 
So first grade should have an hour max, you know, second grade yeah. should have an hour and a half, so on and so forth. So by the time you get into high school, you're getting four or five hours of work a day, yeah. but that's very normal and typical for getting credit hours. Um, so if it's taking you guys four hours to get elementary school work done, we need to, you need to talk to the teacher and you need to figure out where you can cut some of this. Cause that, again, yeah. that's not, it's virtual learning is not meant to take four to six hours a day. Yeah. It's, that's, it's just not. Uh, that's really good to, to yeah. recognize that for our kids that you talked about advocating for our kids. Yeah. That's yeah. incredible knowledge just to know, Oh, only 30 minutes. Okay. Wow. My kid's in it for two hours. Um, yeah, that's, that's super, super good to know. So, um, so thankful for you, um, joining us and being a part, being the, the yeah, first guest on our, uh, on season two oh, of our podcast. Yeah. Last thing I just want to, just want to ask check-ins. I know check-ins are so important for, especially in this moment, how are we, how we are checking in with our kids. How would you go about doing that? Cause you're around your kids all the time, right? I mean, it's all the time working or maybe you're working your kids or, or whatever, especially kids who are still at home. Yeah. What are, what's one, just a, a real quick thing on how would you go about checking in? What's some practical ways of doing that without saying, Hey, I need to set, set aside 30 minutes to check in with my kids. Yeah. Um, for me, I try to do it when we're trapped in the car together. <laughs> <instead of home. laughs> yeah. Like we're going to the grocery store or something. And I'm like, right. ha ha ha, you're trapped in the car with me. Um, but finding a time that's a natural thing. So you guys are home together a lot. This would be a great time for you guys to do lunches together or dinners together where you're all sitting down and it's not, again, you're not, you're not focused on the task. It needs yeah. to not be in the middle of when school's going on. It needs to not be in the middle of when you're trying to do your work. It needs to be in natural rhythms of the day where you sit down and it can be lunchtime or dinner time or you're in the car. Um, where you're where you're able to create space for conversation and check in and the kids don't feel like it's scripted and you're forcing it. Mm -hmm. so, so good. Yeah. 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 It's like you said, relationships are key. Like those are your words, right? Yeah. Relationship is key. Relationship, yeah. And then let the let the schoolwork happen. Do the schoolwork. But ultimately, this is a great time for families to bond and actually get closer together. And I hope that by the end of all of this, that we all actually have a more positive and a, and a more well-knit family unit rather than we've let 2020, you know, strip us of the work we'd already done beforehand. So, yeah, this has been amazing, Jenny. Thank you so much. Um, I, I hope that you're okay. I'd, I'd love to get um, some more of your tips and send them out to our listeners just because um, we may put some of these on, our, on the show notes, but just so, so good, especially with the families that OCA serves, but also just um, coming from your knowledge and your expertise i um, so thankful um, for the time that we got to spend together today. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Thanks. Yep. Have a good one. Thank you. You too.